There are four rivers that flows from Eden. The water of the orchard from there divides into four head streams. The name of the first is the Pishon. It runs through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is pure, pearls and lapis and luz, and also there. The names of the second river is the Gihon. It runs through the entire land of the Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Syria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So we're told that there are four. There's a river that flows out of Eden into the garden and in the garden divides into four rivers and then flows out to the rest of the world. So the point is that Eden is the source of life where the palace of God is. And then when it comes to us, we're responsible for channeling that life out into the rest of the world. Where are these rivers? We have no idea. The Pishon, don't know what that is. The Gihon is a spring in Israel, but never a river. We know what the Tigris and Euphrates are. Other than that, we don't know where Havela is. We're told that one of the rivers flows through Cush. Cush is always Ethiopia in the Bible. But the problem is we're told that Cush is next to Assyria. And Cush isn't up there. Cush is down in Egypt. So the point is not that, hey, let's get on a map and try to find the Garden of Eden, which we kind of can because we know where the Tigris and Euphrates are and we know where Assyria is. But two of the rivers are gone. Now, they probably did exist. Actually, satellite footage shows that there were rivers that used to exist a long time ago going through Saudi Arabia that are now dried up. There's residue left over. Where, is that where those other two rivers were? I don't know. But the point is not let's try to find the rivers. The point is that life comes from God and we distribute that life to the rest of creation. And the garden is where that happens. The gold, the pearls, the lubas, that's all like, yeah, some money. But in the Bible, it's beauty. In the Bible, it's everything that you need. It's so abundant, you don't need to be greedy for it. But it's so abundant that it provides for you. There's no desire for anything. And Yahweh God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and maintain it. Then Yahweh God commanded the man, you may freely eat of the fruit in every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, dying you will die. Now, what's going on here? He places them in the garden to till and keep. Okay, what are those words? The word till and keep are cultivative languages, meaning that now we have a job to start planting and growing things. That's our job. But what's very, very interesting is that word till is used of worship all throughout the Bible. And the word to keep or guard is used of maintaining the tabernacle and the Torah and sacrifices. The words till and keep are spiritual terms. Now, this is where it gets really cool. I mean, I think this is all cool, but... Nowhere, all throughout the Bible, till and keep are always used of worship in the Bible. Singing songs in church, what we call worship, is never called worship in the Bible. It never exists in the Bible as worship. You cannot call Sunday morning singing worship. I mean, you can, but it's not accurate. That's called praise all throughout the Bible. Is it good? Yes. Not trying to knock it. I'm just saying it's, let's define it. The words worship in the Bible are always used of working in creation. Tilling is planting life, making the Adama come to life, making it good. Keeping it is guarding it and making sure the life stays good. So what is worship? 
bringing good to creation and keeping good. That's worship. Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Meaning that giving your life to God so that he can use it in the everyday normal sense of your life is worship. Adam and Eve in the soil, planting plants and making things good is worship. Your worship is your job. The only place that you worship God is when you're out there in the hospitals and the schools and your businesses and your banking and you're making things good. When you're cultivating your companies and you're cultivating people and you're cultivating good thinking and good practices and right relationships with people, all for the glory of God, and then you keep and you guard that good, that's worship. And because you're worshiping God and doing it for God, then you will encounter God and you'll experience Him in a way that you never have before. And then you will be filled up in a way that you'll never have. And that will make you want to come to church on Sunday and praise Him. And now praise is not words or music that you do because you just really enjoy it. And you don't sing well, but you know that God enjoys your voice no matter whether how good you sing or not. <laughs> Worship is when I say that he is my rock. I have thought of a very specific time this week where I was worshiping God through my intelligent skills or my gifts or my talents in my job, even if it wasn't ministry at all, but it is ministry. Because anytime I'm in the soil, on the land, in the earth doing things, that's ministry. And the world attacked me for it, and God kept me in gardening and shielded me. And that's why I can sing that proudly and don't care about my voice because I'm praising him for a very specific time that I can think of him being my shield. And that's what your purpose in life is. And so he places them there and gives them that command. These are priestly terms. To worship, to work, to kill, to kill, till, to keep, to guard, to make things good. That's what you're supposed to do on an intellectual level, on a physical level, on a business level, on an organizational level, on a relational level, and every way. Notice that everything that God created in creation wasn't all just relational about people. A lot of it was just building things that worked, connecting things together in a way that it works. Whatever you're doing, even just organizing your filing cabinets so that people can be more efficient and find things better, that's worship if you're doing it because now when people look at you and say, wow, our company has been so disorganized for such a long time. How are you? You can talk about your God. I know that's so basic, but think about it. If you can think about him in that way on the basic level, it will become so much easier on the larger level. Boaz, when everybody in the book of Judges were hurting each other all the time. Judges is a nasty, corrupted book. Not the book, but the time period. <laughs> And we're told that in the time period of the judges, when there was a famine, the story of Ruth. And Boaz walks into the fields in a time period where the entire nation was approving the rape of 600 women. When there's a famine in the land, Boaz has a field that is producing so much grain that so many people are able to glean in it and the poor people are able to come in to eat from it. And Boaz isn't going bankrupt. And when he walks in the fields, he says, God bless you. And everybody goes back to me, Yahweh bless you too. If you're busted that at work, everybody thinks it was a joke. 
But think about actually having a boss that really meant it when he said it, and you believe that he meant it when he said it, and he so lived it out that he literally changed the way that people interact with each other. Even if they were still not believers, they would say it back and they would mean it because of what he had created. That's worship. Worship is a Boaz who submits to God and finds him as his source. He goes over and beyond the law, and he cultivates the land. He cultivates the relationships in the village. He cultivates the government in the village because he's a man of standing, and everybody depends on him in a governmental kind of a sense. And he becomes the redeemer for everyone there because he understood worship. And everybody then praises Yahweh for everything they keep seeing happen in all those three people's lives. That's praise. And that's what God has called Adam and Eve and you and I to in the garden. And that will drastically change your life if you can think of your business, your job, in a worship sense. And not just what I do to provide for my family and make money. And the real ministers are the missionaries and the pastors and the teachers or whatever. That's what it means to worship. That is what God has called us to. But if you eat of that tree, you value your own authority more than God's authority. You value what you want more than God's relationship, and you will lose all of this. You will die. You'll be separated from me. They don't need to know what death feels like for that worrying to be true. They just need to know that I don't want to be discouraged. They can look outside the garden, and they don't see anything growing. They can look outside the garden. There's no springs. They don't see God out there. They know what death is. Death means being separated from God. And right now, life is good. Unfortunately, we don't know what we have until we lost it. And that's what God is calling them to. So here's the thing. It's not good to be outside the garden, right? Because when they get kicked out, it's not good. We know the garden is just a limited place because there's a fence around it. And even if you didn't know that, they are kicked out of it, which means they're not floating in outer space, which means the entire planet isn't the garden. But then they're commanded to be fruitful and multiply, which means has kids. Well, what does that mean? That's not just a have kids and you should have kids. That's make little images. Remember, if you're to be an image of God, then the whole purpose of having kids is to create more images of God. And even if you never get married or ever have children, that doesn't mean that you can't obey God's command. Because even Paul didn't have any children, but he made images, little images, that it's called discipleship. And so on a biological level or on a discipleship, you're meant to be fruitful and multiply. But if you keep being fruitful and multiply, eventually what's going to happen here in this garden? You're going to outgrow it. So God commands you to be fruitful and multiply, which means you're going to outgrow this, but you don't want to leave the garden because it's not good. So God kind of just trapped you. But he commanded you to work until a garden. Well, why would you work until a garden that produces everything that they want freely? That's not much of a job. It's like, hey, I'm going to hire you to do my taxes, but all the taxes are already done. That's boring. That's emptiness. Which means what? To work until and be fruitful and multiply means to expand the garden. That when they have kids, they step out into that barren wilderness and they push the fence out as they cultivate the ground and worship. They have more kids and they push it out more. And what they do is God has created a world that is good. And then he creates life here in the garden and he says, now 
You've seen what I do. It's the six days of creation. You found true rest in me. It's being my priest in the temple with me as I rest with you. You can either choose to find your own good through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or you can take the mantle and join me and we'll keep creating and expand the garden. That's your purpose. That's what it means to be the image of God. It means that I start inside here and I allow Christ to become master over my life, my addictions, my choices. And he changes it and my garden begins to expand. And then I join you in ministry. First my family and then you, the body of Christ. And then we expand. And sometimes we expand together in ministry as a church. Sometimes there's other Christians in the job that I work and we expand together in that job. But everywhere I go, I'm expanding. And I have different circles in different areas of my life and I expand for the glory of God as I worship Him, work until everything. And then when I expand that, I move on to the next one, expand, and I move on to the next one, expand, and expand, expand, until eventually Christ comes back and the entire earth has the kingdom of God dwelling on it and everything is good. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I begin to wonder, why did God create a big giant universe where there's no life? Well, the atheist says, well, that means your God's not there because you honestly think that you're the center of the universe and God created only one thing with a plant life on. That's not true. Maybe it is. What are you going to do once everything is good and God Christ has come back? Maybe our desire to explore and our desire to create and build and a big, giant, dead, empty universe is that eternity is a long time. Maybe we're meant to expand the garden past this planet. And we're right now, we're sucking the life out of this planet and desperately trying to find another planet to suck the life out of that one. God has called us to bring life to this planet and go on and expand and bring life to the dead universe. Now, I don't know if every planet out there has no life. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying there's a lot of not life out there. And I don't know if this is biblical or if this is the answer. And heaven may be completely different, but my hypothesis is we're called to expand and expand and expand. Maybe the universe is so boundless and without end is because we have an entire eternity to be building and creating and worshiping and expanding God. And he designed a universe for our obedience. But all we see is an empty universe because of our disobedience. I don't know. That's my theory. And if I'm wrong, it's going to be way cooler than that. <laughs> so this makes sense. This is how we're supposed to view life. Now, I know it's a lot easier to say it right here when we're not stressed and we're in the Bible and the Holy Spirit's working and then we get out in life and we're like, oh my gosh, but you don't know my job. But greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And that becomes the challenge. Nobody said the working and tilling was going to be easy after the fall. But what we are told is that God will be with us because God is Yahweh. And greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And you find your rest and peace in him. And the reality is it only becomes overwhelming and challenging and defeating when you're not resting in him. When he's not your Sabbath. But when you make him your Sabbath, either on a daily basis or a second-by-second second basis, depending on the day and the place, and when you can find other believers, because it's not good for Adam to be alone, 
find other believers in your workforce. And you may be the only one, but then convert and try to expand. And like I said, I know this sounds a lot easier. And even at a Christian school, oh my gosh, it is difficult and challenging. The reality is, yes, it's a Christian school. And yes, I'm teaching Bible, but I still have little balls of sin in my classroom all the time. Okay. It's not easy. Okay. So this isn't like, oh, it's easy for you to say. No, it's not. It's hard. But it's way better. It's easier. And it's more fulfilling if you can define work the way that God has and not the way that America has. Does that make sense? I'm not saying this is going to be easy now. I'm just saying it's going to be easier and more fulfilling if we look at it that way. Now the question that you need to ask that I cannot answer is what does that look like for you? There are so many skills and so many circles here, and I don't have knowledge of those world. I don't know what it's like to be that in this area, in that area, in that area. I'm not there. That's not what I'm gifted in. But the one being that does know is God and the Holy Spirit. And so now that you know what his word says, now you pray his word into your life and you ask the Holy Spirit, show me what it looks like to worship, to work, to till, to expand the garden. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. And so that's what we pray. That's what we look forward to. That's what we ask Him to reveal to us. Questions? Beneficial? A lot to think about?